Hey, everybody. Welcome to Around the Farm, the podcast about all things ag. I'm your host, Clint Chaffer, and today we have an exciting harvest prep episode where we talk to Climate Field View's senior product manager, Greg Dime, where he takes us through all the tips and tricks and the ins and outs to get prepared for Harvest 2021. If you like the podcast, be sure to like the podcast, subscribe, and ring the bell to get notified each and every time that we push out new content. So here we go. Hey, Greg, thanks for coming back on the show. Uh, it's always exciting to, uh, you know, just to hear your perspective and, uh, and to get your thoughts around uh, all things uh, farming and, and really digital. So welcome back on Around the Farm. Thanks, Clint. I, I greatly appreciate it. I'm uh, glad to be back with you and, and talking about Harvest and everything that uh, we've got going on here. So uh, just a little bit, you know, kind of catch up uh, the audience of where I'm at. Uh, so as you mentioned in the intro, I'm a you know, senior product manager at Climate, uh, but also uh, got the opportunity to be closer to the family farm. So uh, excited to be back in Iowa uh, and have the opportunity to, to watch the crops uh, from, from near rather than from afar. So we, we're excited uh, what the upcoming harvest season brings to us. Well, you know, you, you talk about uh, your opportunity there, Greg, and actually the, the interesting part is you and I got to know each other when, uh, when really you were farming and, uh, and you know, I, w- I was on, uh, on Climate Field View and then you kind of had the opportunity to come over uh, into the company then. Absolutely. Yeah, actually, we could go way back, couldn't we, Clint, as far as, uh, <laughs> you know, from a, from a girl, the, the first time we met uh, at one of the meetings down in Iowa City and, and uh, my brother and right. I were growers. Uh, speaking about the climate platform to to then when I became a, a CAS uh, activation specialist and and was helping others with the product and now ultimately giving it a, a sense of direction uh, as a product manager. So yeah, it is a full journey. Uh, it's a story that uh, that I love to tell. Well, I tell you what, you know, I mean, I, I know I was excited when, uh, when when you got to come over just for the simple fact of getting that, that you know, true farmer perspective really driven into the product, I think, is uh, just a, a great opportunity for, uh, for us to, to, to have that, uh, that insight. So uh, uh, it's great to, great to see, you, see you doing what you're doing. So Absolutely. Well, well speaking of the farming, how are things looking uh, out, on, uh, out on your family farm there, Greg? You know, Clint, uh, as many in, in the Midwest are, are struggling with uh, with some drought conditions, uh, we are in a little pocket of uh, northern Iowa that is seeing uh, definitely some drought conditions. And actually, we were just talking before uh, coming on, uh, we are 15.7 inches behind uh, a 30-year average. So looking at uh, climate.com wow. and actually looking at uh, his, some historical weather data, uh, you know, so that just kind of tells you where we're at, uh, being 15, almost 16 inches behind. Um, you know, it, it's crazy, though. The, the crops are still green. Uh, I think if we don't catch a rain here in the next couple of weeks, uh, it'll definitely speed up harvest. That is for sure. Well, speaking of harvest, too, I mean, what are some of the steps that, that you and your family, you know, start taking in order to really just get prepped to, to get that combine rolling and make sure everything goes right on those first few days? You know, uh, I got to give that all to my brother from an equipment standpoint. My brother does a, a, a great job of keeping our equipment uh, in top-notch condition, and, and it really starts from the day we finish harvest. Uh, he doesn't let the combine go into cold storage until he's gone through it and tried to, to get a feel for what needs to be done. So 
you know, from an equipment standpoint, my brother does a great job. Uh, but, you know, when we look at our full operation, it's more than just equipment that uh, we have to prepare. Um, it's it's really kind of preparing your minds for what, what you got coming um, as far as inventory control, sales, you know, how have we been working on uh, from from a seed standpoint? You know, what are where stuff planted? Uh, so it's it's really uh, a multifaceted uh, pr- preparation for us. Well, you know, let's say you just started, uh, started saying exactly what I was thinking there, Greg. You know, it's it's not just nuts and bolts anymore, right? I mean, it, uh, it's also a, a whole technology aspect. Um, I know Dad and I, we always call uh, that first day calibration day, right? Where you're you're probably not planning on getting hardly anything done uh, yep. besides calibrating the yield monitor. Uh, take us take us through maybe some of the the tips and tricks, uh, you know, w- with all the all the technology that you run on your operation. What are some of the tips and tricks that uh, that you utilize to to get ready? Not only from a yield monitor standpoint, maybe if you run a you know a drive or a twenty twenty or things of that nature. Just what are some of the things that you could maybe uh, share with us that uh, may could make lives easier? Yeah, so so I'm going to speak from two sides of it uh, because you do get the benefit of me putting on a, a grower's hat and as well as the product manager. So you know the biggest things that you know if I step back and think about you know what our what our intent here is, is, uh, you know, to provide our audience uh, some feedback about field view and, and some best experiences leading into harvest. You know, the, the feedback that I can give is, you know, through testing and, and also uh, user feedback that iOS 14.7.1 and the cab app 10.3 and higher have proven to be a very good experience so far uh, this late summer and, and headed into the harvest season. So, uh, just to kind of reiterate those numbers again, iOS 14.7.1 and Cab App 10.3 and higher is really the message that we're going to be telling uh, going into harvest for our customers. And it's our recommendation that uh, if you're running those versions, we expect you to have a very good uh, experience with the app uh, and your iPad itself. So, you know, a little bit about that, that kind of kind of talks about climate. Uh, but really, you know, if we go back to what what else do we think about? heading into harvest, you know, we, we talked, it's not just hardware anymore. It's, it, it's, it's, you gotta be ready for your uh, data preparation. Um, some of the things that I guess I like to do is I make sure that uh, uh, automatic updates is turned off on my iPad. Uh, there's, there's uh, if, if our customers have been around and, and been through harvest seasons, they know that uh, September is that time that Apple likes to release their next, uh, their next version of the app. And w- while there's nothing wrong with that, uh, we just want to make sure that our customers have a good season. Uh, and so uh, letting us uh, get through full testing uh, and then ultimately really get through the harvest season. And then, um, you know, we'll provide feedback on how did it go uh, with the new version. So uh, those are all the things that we that we think about here. Uh, and I try to put my farmer hat on. OK, how do I make sure that my customers have a good experience uh, and aren't fighting with those things uh, out in the field when they're really focused on getting the job at hand done. You know, Dad and I have had those similar conversations, Greg. You know, you talk about uh, just uh, automatic updates, right? That's one of those first things that uh, that we always say to shut off on an iPad, you know? And I always look at whatever the, the version is, usually in the summertime, that's what we roll uh, for harvest. And whatever comes out in September is what we roll for planting, right? Yep. Uh, and that's uh, that's kind of at least the the swing that uh, that we've ended up having. One of the other things that I you know just as we think about some of those small things too, um, 
we ran into even one of our chargers went bad, right? Uh, and so it, it was one of those where dad and I made sure now to to have a couple more of our, our little 12 volt chargers, you know, shoved in the in the buddy seat, you know, just in case one goes bad because it's you got to power everything, right? There's yep. a lot of power that's, uh, that's going through a lot of this. So yep. and, and actually, that's a great point, Clint, that you bring up. Uh, you wouldn't think about it, but but that charger, the charging cord itself, actually does play a big part of it because through all of our research that we've done with the cab app and the iPad itself is that when the battery gets below 30%, we have seen degradation in just the, the experience. Uh, Bluetooth maybe will struggle. So if you're connected to a drive in your combine and your battery is low, uh, there is, uh, we have seen that cause some problems. And so, uh, you, you know, I've heard some stories of where customers uh, lose their, their charger, or in my case, usually it's my son or my kid's, take the charger and I don't know where it went. And so they'll go uptown to the, to the local gas station and buy one off the end cap, right. You know, standing next to the cash register. And if, if there's anything I can recommend is don't do that. Um, it, it, that is a critical piece to the, to the, the whole system is to keep your iPad charged. And there's different uh, uh, qualities of those cables. You know, there's different speeds, there's different qualities. And so we do really recommend if you can run a, uh, an Apple branded one that came with the iPad, that's your number one. Uh, but even finding just a good three foot, uh, you wouldn't think that that matters, but the length uh, we have actually seen cause uh, issues as well. So we, we recommend the three foot chargers uh, and find yourself a good one. You know, just, you know, it's, you get what you pay for is really the old al- analogy there. Stay away from those those cheap ten footers that are like five bucks for three of them on Amazon. Then exactly, right? yep, that is exactly <laughs> the point. You don't need a ten foot cable. Uh, you know, keep it uh, keep it as close to the charger port as you can. So, uh, my best experience that I've seen is the the three foot charger cords. Yeah. Now, I, without getting into, I know there's a lot of different versions of iPads out here. It's amazing that, uh, the, you know, how long iPads have actually been out. Uh, I can't remember, like 2010, right? So I think are we have yeah. like 11 years that these things have been out, uh, which time has flown by so fast on that. W- what's your recommendation, Greg, on all the farmers that are, that are listening out there um, as we have, you know, Maybe I have a, a four or five year old iPad versus a two or three year old iPad. Uh, what are some of your thoughts on on updating the actual hardware piece? Yeah, so I think you know some of that comes down to what Apple does themselves. Um, and and the first thing that I can, I guess that I can tell our customers is go out to climate.com and, and go to the knowledge center, go to go to the product support tab. And actually, if you just type in the search bar, just type iPad, it'll come up with the list. We keep track of all of the iPads on the Knowledge Center. And so it'll actually tell you um, the ones at the top that are expired or, or no longer are being updated by Apple. And that's a pretty good indicator. If Apple's not updating them, you're probably at the mercy of uh, needing to go get a new one. Uh, and so then you scroll to the bottom and you can see what the latest versions are uh, available. And so... You know they've got so many of them. Client, you're right. I can't keep track of all of them, uh, but luckily we've got uh, we've got a good list, and and we work uh, to keep that updated. So kind of getting getting back to it is if you have uh, an iPad that no longer supports new updates from them. So there is a uh, some of the old uh, older iPads that were very popular back in the day in 2014, 15 when Climate was really getting rolling 
are now no longer upgradable to uh, past iOS 12. And so that's a good indicator. If you can't go past iOS 12, then you're not going to get the latest cab app version either from Climate. Okay. So, and if you're not getting that latest version of the cab app, I would assume maybe compatibility starts becoming an issue and some of those types of, of updates that have rolled yep. in past that, whatever that last update is then. Absolutely. Yeah. All, all of the bug fixes, enhancements, uh, improvements that we've been doing over the last uh, 18 to 24 months, you know, are always wrapped up. You know, our, our whole recommendation is to stay current on the cab app because there's a reason for it. We, we are constantly trying to improve uh, the product and learn better. Uh, about what our customers are experiencing. Well, you know, I got to just keep sitting here asking you a couple of questions, you know, probably because, you know, I have them myself, right? Uh, while I got you on the, I got you in a good spot to ask you all these questions, you know? So uh, what is your recommendation for, uh, you know, you can go on and download uh, multiple years of data to the local iPad, right? Uh, what's your recommendation at Dime Farms, uh, you know, to, to basically how many years do you download? Are you only keeping the current year? What, what's, the, what's the thought process there? What would you recommend uh, us at Chaffer Farms to do? You know, Clint, uh, that's a great question. Actually, I was just talking internally about this the other day. And so it's funny you bring that up. Uh, and I pulled my, my personal iPad up. And, and so there's really two things to think about is what is the iPad doing in the operation? So my personal iPad actually has eight years of data loaded on it, and it's 106 gigabytes of data. I just I just happened to look it up the other day, but we have 106 gigabytes of data on my iPad wow. just for our farming operation uh, loaded into FieldView. And so uh, on a 164 gig iPad, I'm going to run out of room. And so I do have a risk. If my iPad had to be in the cab while we're harvesting, I run a risk. So what we do is we typically have our own personal iPad. So we actually have, uh, we have a lot of iPads in our farm, Clint. I'm not going to lie. Uh, <laughs> my, dad, my dad has one. I'll just say one. <laughs> There's a lot more than that. But he has one that he uses. And then my brother has one. Uh, and then I have one. Those are our, what we kind of call our personal use. They don't really go in the cabs. They have everything yep. on it. Uh, when, we, when we think about in the cab, we're really only focused about what are we collecting. And so we don't download everything onto those iPads, uh, the ones that are in the cab. They're, they're truly focused on the activity at hand, getting the job done, collecting that data, and then transmitting it up so that ultimately our personal iPads can get it. Uh, you know, one of the biggest selling yep. points of FieldView is having it at your fingertips. So uh, downloading that to iPads is, you know, is a big value. So, so if I'm hearing you right, if uh, whatever's in the cab, uh, make sure I have enough memory on there first off, but then probably have, you know, maybe the current year so I get my planting data, but, but try maybe not to bog it down after that. Absolutely. Yep. Nice. And, and actually, that, that goes into another point that I, I was going to bring up, Clint, around just kind of pre preparation. And this goes beyond field view, uh, but this ultimately really goes back to uh, uh, kind of data preparation, setting yourself up for a good a good season. And that is to understand what's on your monitor. You know, so, so the way field view works, uh, if you remember is we actually just, we connect and, and collect the data from a source. And that source is typically a, an OEM monitor. And so understanding that, uh, you know, having that monitor cleaned up and ready to go is also another point that I guess I would offer some advice. And this is me kind of stepping back into my farming and my consulting days around how did I help my customers 
have the best possible experience during harvest. And that was uh, to, to make sure that number one, it's always a good idea to back up your data before you start a new season. So back up any historical data, even if you think you've done it, I usually do it again, just in case. I've got a drawer full of uh, USB drives here that have way more data on them than I probably need. But I just, I like to do that just as a safety net, right? Uh, and then clean up your monitor. Make sure you have ample room on your on your OEM monitor as well. Uh, and so that's a that just makes sure that you have you're collecting the raw data uh, as well. Um, so that's a good kind of a good tip that I like to give to our customers uh, as they're preparing for for harvest. You know, I, I think that's a great call out, Greg. I'll share a, a quick story that uh, that we had that, that kind of lands on that. Um, when we moved over to to FieldView in our in our 2020 uh, in the planter, right? That's where we were collecting everything. Uh, we kind of started to ignore our OEM monitor that was still there to do some of the planter controls, uh, and so we weren't we weren't really changing field names or, or doing what we typically would have done as, as well as we did in years past, right? Uh, and we only did this for one season, and you'll find out quickly why. Uh, we have, of course, auto steering, right? And we have our AB lines that were stored in there. Well, beans that we weren't switching our fields and keeping track of that, we ended up going in to do some replanting. And guess what? You can't find all your AB lines anymore. Oh, and so that was the the only year that uh, that we probably uh, did not do our due diligence in uh, in maintaining the OEM monitor and you know alongside FieldView. Uh, and this year and and the the years after that, uh, we have been very uh, specific in making sure that our data is very pure on both of those because uh, it's just. It's amazing what you may need to go back to, and that data integrity, I think, is just absolute key. Yep, absolutely. And and I, I could tell stories like that as well, Clint. I think everybody goes through it. There's always those growing pains of you live and learn uh, with with digital ag, and and that's that's part of the battle. That's that's where we're here uh, to try to give it the best advice we can, you know, to learn from our mistakes, right? So you and I get that advantage of living and learning uh, real life. Uh, but sometimes you only get the one chance and then you regret it. So, uh, you know, those are, those are fun stories that we can, we can all tell, I'm sure. Well, you know, you, you've been in the digital space for a long time, both as a, as a user and, of course, now, now as, uh, you know, seeing all the internal workings, how the sausage is made, uh, per se, here. Uh, what have you seen change in the, in the rural landscape when it comes to access to, to good cellular service or good broadband internet? Has that really, have you seen that change a lot over the, over the course of the last few years? Oh, absolutely. I mean, that's a that's a whole other conversation and, and uh, uh, episode in itself, there, Clint. But you know, <laughs> when we think about what what broadband and and really for us, it, it, we're in a little pocket here where cellular coverage was was not great, really, up until the last couple of years. Uh, and so, you know, we we've seen it evolve. Uh, but I could tell stories, uh, uh, Clint, of of my brother uh, that's not part of the farming operation uh, on a day-to-day basis uh, that, that lives in California. And, and he actually wrote a letter. Uh, I'd have to go back and look, but I want to say it was in 1998. He wrote a letter to uh, the governor of Iowa uh, requesting broadband internet to be brought to uh, Sway City, Iowa, which is where we're, our family <laughs> farm is. And I remember my dad specifically saying, Brent, don't send that letter. You don't know what you're getting yourself into. And, and look at us now, you know, that was in, 
maybe 96, it might have been even before that, we could go back to maybe 94. Uh, but either way, you know, now uh, we're, we're talking about it as we jumped on here. You know, I've, I've got gigabyte internet in rural Iowa. It's opened up the doors for me to be able to do what I do. I, I get oh, to have these yeah. conversations with you. I get to be uh, part of a great company and, and work. Uh, but ultimately, uh, it's unlocked the opportunity to be really close to, to my customers and, and my family farm. Well, I, I bring it up, Greg, because one of the things that I've seen, and, and we, we live in a, in a rough cellular area as well, or used to. I mean, it's a lot better than what it ever was, but it never ceases to amaze me uh, in both harvest and, and planting when that comes. And a lot of times I'm traveling or I'm on the road. And one of my favorite features that I will always consistently talk about is remote view, right? Yes. And uh, it just amazes me that I can be literally anywhere and I can pop open either my phone now, now that we have that, uh, that access on the phone or on my, on my iPad. And it's just like, I'm sitting right in the cab of the, uh, of the tractor or cab of the combine. And, uh, I just find that, uh, absolutely fascinating that we've, we've reached that technology at this point that that all works even when dad's in like the most remote field on our farm, you know? Absolutely. Yeah. You, I mean, you touched on it. Remote view is one of the most commonly used features in the, in uh, the cab app during harvest season. I mean, there's so many use cases around why, uh, but just, yeah, the, without that connection uh, and, and some of the improvements that we've done to even try to make it work better in some, uh, maybe some less than ideal cellular connection areas, uh, we're trying to improve that and, and work it the best we can uh, with what we have. But yeah, as it, as it gets, I mean, technology is only gonna continue to grow uh, as as connectivity gets better. Well, I mean, we've covered a lot of different things here, Greg. You know, in in the whole thought of of getting prepared for for harvest. Uh, what are maybe something that we haven't haven't mentioned yet? Do 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 we forget anything here, or do you have anything else that you'd want to throw in there for some tips and tricks or some advice? Absolutely. You you, you actually uh, you hit on a little earlier, and and we didn't get around to talking about it, but it's it's calibration. Uh, understanding yield calibrations and and I I attribute that to to data quality, it, and it boils down to uh, I wrote down a couple things uh, before I joined, and and there's really two questions that I've always gotten asked uh, as a consultant and and as a technology guy uh, when it comes to yield monitors, and that is when should I calibrate? And I think I heard you say uh, you guys you, your dad and you have said uh, the first day is usually calibration day. It's it's get the bugs out, get the calibration done. And then you kind of, you, you just relax a little bit and then the next day it goes way better. Um, and so, you know, it's, there, there's two questions. When should I calibrate? And then do I need to recalibrate during the season? Those are the two most common questions that I want to spend a little bit of time on with you, Clint. And, and again, uh, when I say if you plan to calibrate, so you know you're going to or you, you are the type of customer that likes to calibrate, uh, I'm just like you said, Clint, we do it in the first day. Get it out of the way. Uh, I recommend doing it as soon as possible during uh, when you start harvest. Uh, but, but I also would recommend check with your yield monitor manufacturer because they can help answer that question. And I say that because uh, the, the data that you collect before you calibrate, you have to understand what happens to it. Does it get back calibrated? Do I need to do something different with that data? So you don't want to collect three days worth of data, calibrate, and then you have three days worth of data that maybe isn't Yep. Uh, calibrated or hasn't been touched. So understand your yield monitor manufacturer, maybe ask that question to them uh, so that they can help you understand how it works. Uh, and so that 
that's really the piece why I say do it in day one. Just get it out of the way uh, and and have it done uh, because then every fr- everything from that point on is calibrated and and ready to go. You did mention there, you know, on the recalibration, and and that's Dad and I have always kind of toss this back and forth. Uh, we probably wait until our corn's maybe a little drier than some of the others. But if you start when your moisture is is really wet and you're going to end when it's, you know, let's say seven, eight, nine points drier, is is there a concern on your end, Greg, that the that, that calibration could be off on on the on the front side and on the back side? So I'm, I'm going to ask you this question, Clint, because there's really uh, two schools of thought around that in my mind. And that is what uh, what level of accuracy are you looking for in your calibration? Do you want it to stay within one percent? So when you go to compare your yield monitor to your elevator uh, slips at the end of the day or at the end of the season, your one percent, uh, then absolutely dry down is a big reason of why you would recalibrate. Staying ahead of the crop conditions or staying with the crop conditions is a big piece of it because of uh, because it's a mechanical machine. So as yep. your crop conditions change, and you pointed out one of them, which is um, when when moisture drops drastically. So, uh, you know, back in the day, we always said 5%, but I think it really boils down to when you start. You know, some, I think universities are saying you, you should harvest in that 24% is when is a good time to get started. Uh, but realistically, Mother Nature plays a hand in that. And with, you know, we all think it's a good thing that it dries down in the field, right? You know, we, we love to see it dry down. It's less money we have to put into the crop, but really to get the best result out of harvesting and our data, it's to recalibrate uh, when you notice that. Um, the other ones to, to notice, and, and we might see it this year uh, with areas of drought. And, and even in our operation, if I looked from north to south in our farms, some of our northern fields have gotten more rain than our southerns. Our test weight might fluctuate. So we may uh, need to watch that a little bit more uh, as we jump into some fields that maybe did get some rain. Uh, and, and the ones that are in the drought, or drought condition, we are a little concerned about our test weight uh, and the kernel depth uh, that we have on, on those fields. So we're going to watch it. It's, it's something that you just have to be, be diligent about. But on the, on the other side yep. of that is... If you're not really worried about your inventory and being 100% accurate in, in your bushel count, uh, then it's just let it roll. And, and it boils down to just watching the yield variability of the lows and the highs. It becomes relative. The, the actual number is relative. So there's a couple of schools of thought on that. Uh, and again, I guess I still recommend uh, work with your precision, your local precision ag rep, work with your yield monitor uh, manufacturer they can help you decide what's your best uh, your best option for you. And, and when you talk about that relative, you're talking about just really seeing, you know, trying to find those high yielding zones versus your low low or high production versus low production. You're not necessarily overly concerned with the exact number as much as the variability between the two zones per se. Exactly, it's identifying those areas, and mm-hmm. so it. I, I also attribute that to agronomic versus economic data. If you're really looking for true economic accounting level data, then then you need to stay on top of your calibrations. You you need you want right down to the penny or right down to the last bushel. Uh, but if you're looking for agronomic, you know then then it comes back to just identifying those areas of high yield and identifying those areas of low yield, and then you actually put the put the number onto it when you're making your decisions. So you get to be optimistic and say. 
well, I know that that's a good yielding area. I'm going to shoot for a higher yield and maybe it's 300 bushel, maybe it's, maybe it's 200, whatever it would be uh, versus your low yielding and then you yep. put those numbers on it. So it's, it, it boils down to just identification of, of where the variable is, variable variability is at. One of the other things I've been told too, and uh, get your get your thoughts on this is, you know, when you're calibrating, you're using other uh, other pieces of hardware, right? If you think about a moisture tester, you're thinking about uh, scales on a auger wagon or a way wagon, or maybe you're taking it to town, or you have a, a scale, you know, that a, a truck scale. Um, what's the importance of making sure that? Uh, that equipment is also, you know, at its best, you know, because I think of, I know some farmers use, you know, maybe those pocket or those handheld moisture uh, uh, testers, right? And and a lot of times those may get you an idea, but they may not be completely accurate. Uh, do you have any concern about using a certain method over another method? Uh, absolutely. I mean, we, we find ourselves running to town quite a bit, um, mainly because, uh, it boils down to running a grain dryer. So, you know, we talk about the yield calibration. You know, moisture is a piece of that. If we don't have our, our moisture sensor calibrated, that ultimately affects our grain dryer setup and how we, how we tweak that, which then affects our output. And if we're not drying down to what our, our local end user wants, then it can cost us money. And so we run a sample uh, both out of the combine, you know, right out of the field, and then also coming out of the dryer, we run to town and we check them both. And so, uh, yeah, moisture is, is the number one, you know, you, you got to set moisture before you set weight. Uh, and so you got to start there. So having a good moisture is, is a very good practice to start there. Uh, when it comes to weight, you know, again, it's, it's relative. How accurate do you want to be? Uh, we are very particular. We, we have grain cart scales. Uh, and so we'll even check those, you know, we'll load a truck and, and take it up uh, to the local elevator and, and, and take our first couple loads in just because we want to check the grain cart. Um, and, and, that, and then actually we do it uh, all season long when we're unloading the grain bin, taking the grain out. Uh, we actually use a grain cart as well as, as kind of a uh, in-between um, just to keep the efficiency up. Oh, yeah. But it's a great time to check your, your, your scale tickets then as well and your grain cart scales. Well, I tell you what, uh, side note, our auger cart right now is at the uh, dealership getting scales uh, installed for the first time on Chaffer Farms. So we're going to be incredibly excited. We've always either had a, a way wagon, uh, just our, which is our, our seed tender, uh, which has scales on it, which that's a really big pain to try dumping into. These long augers on these combines anymore are kind of hard <laughs> to dump into that little thing anymore. Uh, so, uh, we, a lot of times we take it to town, but, uh, we are excited to, to finally get scales on the, on the auger wagon there. So, so I got to bring something up there, Clint. I heard you say it. And there's a debate I saw on the internet not too long ago. <laughs> Is it an auger wagon? I know I use, I use both car. terms, didn't I? <laughs> yeah. yeah. I, I, my, my gut, I still got to go. Uh, I, I'm a, I'm an auger wagon is, is what I would, what I would stay with. Uh, although you do hear every now and then, uh, a green cart may slip out here and there. So, uh, All right, I, I'm, I'll, I'll I'm not married one to one, one, a hundred percent, but <laughs> another, another episode, another day, right? We'll, we'll debate. Auger yeah, just, just all green cart. We, we, we got to have an episode of nothing but farm debates, right? That's uh, we'll, we'll really settle some things at that point. 
Sounds good. Back on the uh, the one last thing I wanted to touch on on the on the calibration. Uh, you know, of course, a lot of times we're we're talking about this. We're talking about corn. Uh, I mean, what the same same as corn is the same as soybeans, uh, right? I mean, you still want to when you get into into a different grain, you're going to want to still take that uh, take that time and and make sure that you're recalibrating. Or, we'll, I mean, is that how is is that that recommendation? Yeah. So actually, when when you switch between grains, uh, the the OEM monitors actually require you to have a new calibration factor, anyways, um, mainly because of the different weight of the crops. And so, you know, if we focus on corn, soybeans, obviously we got fifty six pound corn versus sixty bushel or sixty pound uh, soybeans. You know, so they they do require you to calibrate each crop type at least once. Uh, every season. And so that, that's a recommendation. I said they don't require it, but it's a recommendation that you do one, at least one calibration per crop every year. Uh, thing about soybeans is they're a little more forgiving. You know, you, you usually are starting when the moisture is at, at the correct percentage for soybeans. Uh, yeah, they do dry down, but you know what, it fluctuates daily. And so soybeans are a little harder to, to track down moisture. Uh, but the weight calibration, your calibration factor is a little more forgiving on soybeans than it is on corn. No, that makes sense. Yeah, your uh, your moisture on soybeans are a lot different in the morning than what they are in the afternoon, even right. Yep. So, yep, yeah, it's always interesting to you. You can always catch some of those maps when you when you look at your moisture. You about know when you started uh, maybe a little too early in the morning, and and when they really <laughs> dried down about three o'clock in the afternoon. Well, and and that 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 goes into it as well. You talk about looking at maps, and it was a question that I've been uh, been one to ask you. You are an extremely analytical uh, uh, farmer. I have seen your data. I have seen your trials, uh, and you never cease to amaze me. Uh, what are you testing out there on Dime Farms that you're excited to uh, excited to see this harvest? You know, Clint, uh, we've actually been testing some hardware, and so uh, it's it's not really strip trials. Uh, but it's more so uh, just tweaking kind of how we do some of our uh, technology around our equipment uh, and getting our equipment fine-tuned uh, to maybe handle some of our farming conditions uh, a little better. So tillage uh, is a conversation that's been at our forefront, uh, trying to find that, uh, that ideal tillage tool that allows us uh, speed and efficiency, but also provides us the, the tillage we need to, to warm our soils up uh, and, and really... Honestly, we, we have the conversation around not disturbing the soil too much either uh, because we do we do want to keep that in mind, especially yep. when we come out of a year like this where we're, you know, we're, we're 15.7 inches behind uh, a 30-year average. And actually, I, I, I was looking on climate.com again on historical weather, and I went back to July of 2019 was the last time that we actually were above uh, that 30-year average uh, for moisture. So we've been in a drought deficit or in a rain oh, wow. deficit standpoint for almost two years now. Um, so tillage is a big piece. Uh, planting equipment, as as you know, that's always been a, a big piece of ours. You know, we, we hang our hat on that if we don't put it in the ground right, it really doesn't uh, matter what you do at harvest time. Um, so we've we've been uh, focusing on planting equipment. Uh, but then it, the, the, the last piece that I can't, I, I can't speak to a lot because it um, it's not really strip trials. It doesn't show up in a map. Uh, is understanding the soil, is trying to learn a little bit more about what our fertility programs are uh, and how we can make sure that, uh, that we're getting the best return out of our investment uh, when it comes to fertility. 
All right. Well, with that too, then I got a couple questions I'm going to throw your way here. Uh, outside of, 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 you know, advice and things, I just want to get your thoughts on this. What is your favorite aspect about Harvest? Ha, I love this question, Clint, honestly, because there's about three or four of them that come to my mind. And, and I can't narrow it down to one. But the, <laughs> but the first one is Iowa State football. On a Saturday afternoon, there's nothing better than sitting in the combine cab or in a semi-cab and having Iowa State football on the radio. There's there's not too many things better than that, Clint. So uh, that's the number last, one. The last chart I seen, at least on the preseason predictions, showed Iowa State being ranked higher than the Hawkeyes. So I figured that's got to at least put some put some joy in you there. Uh, you know, I'm I'm also one that uh, I don't I, I don't want to go into. Uh, too confident. Uh, so we will just see, we got to get through those first three games of the year and then I'll feel a little better because, uh, we, we just got to come out strong. That's, you know, Hawkeyes being the third game. So, <laughs> so that's the one that matters for bragging rights, but you know, here, here's another one, uh, Clint, that, that I really, my favorite thing about harvest that I'm not sure everybody thinks about, but is, uh, the smells and the sounds. Oh, yeah, the smell absolutely. of corn going through a grain dryer and the sound of the bin fans running on a nice, crisp, cool evening. There's nothing better. I just I love that about uh, about harvest time and, and being out around uh, if it's my own equipment or somebody else's is uh, just just having that uh, that awesome fall air. You, you'll, you'll laugh, but you just explained that, and I just got chills running through me, man. Uh, that's uh, I couldn't agree more. That is uh, that's just that that true true fall, right? Uh, when you start getting the sounds and the smells, that's yep. for sure. Absolutely. All right. So is that it? Is that the that that's that's the top of the harvest right there? That is uh, that is everything you uh, can learn about harvest in in what uh, thirty five minutes. So. Uh, <laughs> You know, I, I think the, probably the last thing, Clint, we could add is uh, just, you know, thinking about Fieldview and, and where we're at, uh, we're, you know, we're continuing to try to improve and, and provide a better experience for our customers uh, through advice like we have given here, but also, uh, you know, through our next releases, uh, we've got 10.4 that'll be coming out uh, probably right at the beginning of harvest. Uh, in some cases, we might be rolling, um, but we're looking for mid-September uh, to be releasing 10.4. Uh, is the next version of Cab App, but also beyond Cab App, uh, you know, I can also speak to the FieldView app. They've got some things coming uh, on the FieldView app itself. Uh, there's constantly releases coming out there, and then on the web. Uh, continue to watch the web because that's really uh, kind of a key focus that we want to be able to provide our customers a good experience on the web as well. Uh, so, so stay tuned and and keep. Keep your eyes on uh, climate.com. Well, Greg, I just want to say thank you for uh, for joining us uh, today on the show. This conversation has been absolutely wonderful. I also want to say, uh, you know, just thank thank you to you and the team back at FieldView for for all the you know updates and all these uh, all these features that you're that you're pushing out to us. I know Dad and I look forward to it every year to uh, to get into the combine to get the FieldView cab app and running. Uh, you guys are just doing a fantastic job. So hats off to you and your team. I appreciate that, Clint. Absolutely, it's it's definitely a team effort. Well, hopefully, uh, maybe after harvest, uh, maybe before uh, before planting, uh, we can bring you back on and uh, see what else you have up uh, up your sleeve there. I would be glad to do that anytime. 
Hey, we just had an awesome conversation with Greg Dime where he took us through all the ins and outs and the tips and tricks to really help us all get prepared for a successful Harvest 21. We also ask that if you like the podcast, be sure to like the podcast, subscribe, and get notified each and every time that we push out new content. And with that, we'll see you around the farm.